let's take our Bibles. We will turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, the text that was read during the Scripture reading this morning. We're continuing our series on the authentic life, and one of the most important lessons we can learn as followers of Jesus Christ is this. We need to have authentic love. See, there are a lot of people in this world that talk about love, and they can talk a great game, but love really doesn't mean anything if it isn't backed up by actions. And that's what we find as we look at 1 John. John is called the apostle of love because he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he refers to himself and his gospel. And he writes about love three times in this short book. This is the third time. And in this discussion about love, what John shares with us is an example, a model of love, and that is God's love. And that's why we want to look at it today. We want to learn how to love like God loves. Now, let me assure you, none of us will ever reach the apex where we say, I now love like God loves. But what we will find is this, in a world that only talks about love, we'll be a lot further down the road as we pursue loving like God loves than if we try our own version. Look at the world around us. The world around us talks about love quite often. And yet, what do we find? Throughout human history, we have seen a world that is characterized by war, by hatred, by division. We find that even in our own country, a polarization, a division that exists in our country when we all share the same nation. And unfortunately, sometimes we even find it in the church, don't we? We find divisions. We find those who polarize and pull away from one another because of minuscule, unimportant things, and yet division. Now, this is not what God wants for the people of God. God wants us to be people who love like He loves. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we go through this text. Now, as we come to the seventh verse of this fourth chapter, we find that God is the source of all authentic love. And we want to grasp this because here the Word of God in plain terms tells us this. Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. As I said earlier, this is the third time that John addresses this issue of love and the importance of loving one another. And what he begins to share with us is this, the secret to loving is drawing upon God's resources because God is the source from whom love comes. Now, notice how he starts this text. He says, beloved. That's a term that is a form of the Greek word agape, which is unconditional love that all of us are to possess. But rather than just using this term willy-nilly as a term of endearment, I think John is sharing with his readers and with us that this is something that he was striving toward himself. His readers, all believers, are objects of His love. He loves the church body. 
I don't think he used the term loosely. I think he meant every word of it when he addressed those that would read this as beloved. And you know, as believers, that's where we should be in our love for one another. We should love fellow believers. That is the basic expectation that God has for us. And it couldn't be expressed any more clearly than it's expressed in this text when he goes on to say, let us love one another. You see, the call for us as believers is to begin with loving one another. And I will say this, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If I can't get the way that I love my fellow Christian right, then how in the world do I expect to love those who are outside the faith, who differ greatly from who I am and my values? God wants us to begin with loving one another. And this is a call to all believers. Let's love one another. Let's make that our purpose, our goal, our direction as followers of God. Let's be people who choose to love one another. Now look at the next statement in that seventh verse. And notice it says this, for love is from God. Now, some of you might read that and say, now wait a minute, Pastor. I've seen some people who are outside the faith who exhibit tremendous love. How can we say that love is from God? Well, let's think about that for a moment. God created man in His image. As we progress in our study, what we're going to see is this, that Part of that image involves the character and nature of God. God identifies him in the eighth verse himself as love. God is love. A part of his being, a part of his character, a part of his nature is love. So when God created man in the image of God, he created man with a capacity to love. So when it says that love is from God, in the basic sense of the word, it's carrying with it the idea that being part of the image of God, being one created in the image of God, I will be a person who has that in my character to love in some way. Now sin entered the world and greatly, greatly marred that image. And so that's why we see perversions of love and this twisted idea of what love is in our world. But as God created us, He created us with the capacity to love. All of us have that capacity to some degree or another. But sin, like we learned in our vacation Bible school, messes everything up. And as a result, that capacity to love diminished. But God has a solution. For the child of God, for the follower of God, God can teach us how to love like He loves. He can place within us this new nature that gives us the ability to love. God is the resource for the kind of love that He wants all of us to share in. And so as we turn to God and as we draw upon God's resources, what are we going to find? That indeed love is from God. He is our resource. He is the one who gives us the ability to love as he loves. That's why John goes on in this text to say, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
When you're born of God, there should be this new nature. There is this new nature that God gives you that has that capacity to love as God loves. And that's why God calls us to do this. Listen, God never calls us to do something that He doesn't equip us to do. So when He calls us to love one another, He's calling us to live out that new nature that came into all of us when we were born again. But then we continue in the text, and after we see the secret to loving is drawing upon God's resources... We come to this statement, God is love, that we find here in this eighth verse. And it's vital for us to understand exactly what this means. Notice the eighth verse. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Now this is a challenge to all of us. If I am unloving... If I am not putting into practice the love that God calls me to, starting with my fellow believers, then I don't really know God. I don't have a deep fellowship with Him. As a matter of fact, I could even question whether I have a relationship with Him if love isn't a part of who I am. You see, when God put that new spirit in me, that new nature in me, the Holy Spirit, then God gave me that capacity to love. But when I don't love, I'm evidencing a disconnect, and I need to embrace that character and that nature that God has placed into me. You know, sometimes as Christians, we think of love as secondary somehow. We, we think in terms of, of love being an option that, that is down the checklist somewhere. And when we read God's Word, what we find is love should permeate all that we do. As a matter of fact, Paul talked about love in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And he listed some amazing religious things that we could do. But then he made the statement that if I do any of these things and don't have love, then all of it's pointless. Listen to what he says. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have to the poor and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is the core of what God expects of us, what God wants to see in us. And what John is saying is this, look, if I am not growing in my love, if I am not continually moving toward the love that God wants to see develop in me, then I have a disconnect from God, I have short-circuited the opportunity to have a closer fellowship with Him. I cannot hate others and say that I love God or that I know what the love of God is. And this is because, look at the last part of that eighth verse, God is love. Now, what does it mean, God is love? It's a simple sentence, 
But sometimes I think it's misunderstood. Earlier in the Gospel of John, John said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. What John was describing for us there was the holiness of God, the purity of God. Just as light is not in any way mixed with darkness, God's holiness is not mixed with sin. So when it says God is light, it's a description of God's character, God's nature. That same thing is true when it says God is love. It is sharing with us that God, by His very character, is love. He is the standard, the example of love. He loves in a way that no one else can love. This is what John means when he says God is love. So, his logical progression is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to love. If I don't love others then I am not connected to the one is, who is love himself. Do you catch that? That's what John is laying out for us. And that's why love is to us one of the most important things that we can pursue. One of the greatest evaluators for us as to whether or not I'm a follower of God, whether or not I have a close relationship, fellowship with God. God wants me to experience that closeness. And listen, as John is sharing this thought, God is love, this was radical for people in the first century. As John writes this, for those who had a background where they worshipped other gods, not the God of the Bible, the concept of love was foreign to these other religions. The gods were to be loved... But they didn't love the people that they were gods over. They didn't care. In many ways, they were projections of how the people who made them up, created them, felt about love and sin and all of the other things that that man does. As a matter of fact, Paul even shares in Romans, they created for themselves gods. And so the concept of love as presented in John's epistle and as presented in the New Testament, foreign to all of these people. The gods didn't love, but they demanded love. Here is the God who loves, the God who is love, calling us as his followers to love one another. That's the idea. That's what God calls us to. So we go on in the text and we come to verse 9. And as we come to the ninth verse, we see that the Son perfectly showed us the love of God. And this demonstration is because He was sent that we might live through Him. Look at this ninth verse. In this... The love of God was made manifest among us. Now, we're going to pause here for a moment and just think about something else as far as the character and the nature of God. God is love, but God is also the revelatory God. God wants to disclose Himself to creation. And so, when man sinned against God, 
broke fellowship with him and was set apart from God because of his own sin, God wanted man, he created man, to have a knowledge of him, a relationship with him. The relationship broken, but what did God did, do? What did God do to, to reach man where he was? What God did was this. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world as an expression, an example of his love because man was helpless and hopelessly lost apart from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When the Scripture says in this text that God manifested His love among us, it's saying that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's love. Now, let's look at what it is about Jesus that reveals this. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Here is Jesus existing as God throughout eternity past. He sets that aside to come and add to His deity, humanity, and live among us, becoming both God and man. The Father sent the Son into this world to die on the cross, to experience the horror of sin so that we might live through Him. Living through Jesus very simply means that Jesus had to die that we might live. That Jesus suffered on the cross to pay for our sins, to bring spiritual life to all of us. What an expression of God's love. It reaches out to us in all of our sin, in all of our separation, and perfectly provides for us what we cannot provide for ourselves. This is the love of God. This is the perfect manifestation, demonstration of God's love. It's the ultimate. And so here, John is laying out for us that Jesus was sent into the world so that we might live through Him. God loved us that much. He didn't just talk about His love. He didn't just wax eloquent about it. He sent Jesus into this world to live among us, to die for us, to deliver us from our sin. That's the kind of love that God has. Look as we continue at the 12th verse, and he talks about how this provision of Jesus Christ satisfied the penalty for our sin completely. Verse 10 And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. Now, let's meditate on that thought for just a moment. God initiated love. He didn't wait and say, who loves me? Who's worth me returning my love toward? God didn't do that. God loved us right where we were in our sin In our rejection of Him, He loved us. The Bible describes us as those who are even enemies of God, 
who reject him. Earlier in the second chapter, the world that we were a part of is described as something driven by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's where we were. But even as we were in that place, the Scripture tells us that God loved us right where we were. This is the kind of love that God has. And you know, as I think about this being a model for my love, I think about some of the practical applications of it. I am not to look at someone who has wronged me or who doesn't really care for me and say, hey, I'll start loving them when they start loving me. That's not in the plan. That's not the way God loves. And if I'm going to model the love of God, that's not the way I should love. The love of God is sacrificial. He loves those who can do nothing for Him, but who need Him desperately. That's the way we're to love. Not loving those and saying, hey, what do I get out of this? But loving and saying, here's a person who is in need, and I will unconditionally love them. This is the way God wants us to love one another. And so when the Word of God calls us to love in this way, to love as God loves, we're to be those who love even when somebody doesn't love us. But look at what the 10th verse says. We don't want to get so caught up in this that we miss the real point of it. He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know what the Scripture is telling us? God loved us sacrificially. He sent His Son to be the satisfaction for our sins. Remember that word propitiation very simply means pro, the, the, the provision of the satisfactory requirement for the payment of our sins. And just so we don't miss the point, when the Bible talks about Jesus being the propitiation for our sins, it's talking about His death, His torture on the cross. The blood that was shed on the cross to pay for our sins. That's how much you are loved by God. I could never really understand this until I had kids of my own. And the thought of taking one of my sons and sacrificing them for people who don't really care about me and reject me anyway is unthinkable. I couldn't imagine a love like that. But that's the kind of love that God has for us. A deep and profound love that reaches us right where we are. The Scripture tells us this, that for our sake He, referring to Jesus Christ, or God, excuse me, made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that is Jesus Christ, so that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. By Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and accepting all of my sin upon Himself, He became that satisfaction, that payment for sin before a holy God. You see, while God loves us, God is also holy. His holiness demands that sin be dealt with, but His love provides the grace that opens the way for me to have a relationship with Him and forgiveness of sin simply by believing that Jesus Christ was all that I need for that sacrifice, my sins are paid. 
That's our relationship with God. That's what God wants us to grasp. That's how God wants us to love. Jesus is the satisfaction of God's requirement for sin. And it can't be satisfied any other way. And the beauty of this sacrifice is this, that that Jesus redeemed me. That is, He bought me out from my bondage to sin by becoming a substitute for me, by becoming a curse on the cross. As Paul points out, cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. Jesus became that curse for you and for me because He loves us and because the Father loves us and because He wanted to provide for the sin that I've committed, forgiveness and a relationship with Him. And listen, that is available to everyone. Earlier in the Gospel of, or in the epistle of John, he said this, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This offer that God makes through Jesus to find that forgiveness, to have a relationship with him, it's made to everyone. So here is this example, this beautiful example of God's love. He loved us when we didn't love Him. He sent the Son into this world to die on the cross for our sins because He wanted to make provision for a relationship with Him, for forgiveness, for complete satisfaction of His righteous requirements. God did this for us because of His love for us. And then we come to the 11th verse. I need to show that same kind of love to bring glory to God. And here's the idea that the 11th verse brings out to us. Since we are loved, we should love one another. You know, as I started meditating on this verse, it opened my eyes to the truth that as I become more aware of God's love for me, the normal response that I will have as a follower of God is to extend that same love to those around me. When I think about all that I've been forgiven, it makes it easier to forgive. When I think about how undeserving I am of God's love, it makes it easier to love those that I deem undeserving of my love. When I think about the intensity of God's love, how He pursued me, how He loves me with a depth that I can't begin to understand as I become more and more aware of that love, I will in turn be more open to loving those around me. This is what God wants for every child of God, every follower. He wants us to have an ever-deepening love for one another. So that's why John says in this text, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That is the normal response that God expects from His followers. And then we come, finally, to the 12th verse. In verse 12, we see the character of God's love by imitating it. Now, look carefully at this 12th verse. No one has ever seen God. 
Now here it's speaking of God the Father. Of course, we saw God in the person of Jesus Christ. But in the actual essence of who God is, God is spirit, we haven't seen God. But then he follows that statement up with this. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. You know what he's saying? As I love, I am revealing a part of the character and the nature of God to those around me. Because as God loves others through me, they see God through me. They may not see Him in His essence, but they see His activity. They see how He works through His people. When Jesus talked to His disciples, He said, By this will all men know that you are My disciples if you love one another. Listen, that's how we love. And that's how we represent God. We are God's chosen representatives here on earth. And the way we love will be an example to the world of how God loves. And that will be their first example. And you know what's unfortunate is this. The church doesn't exactly have that reputation of being a place of God's love. A place of judgment? Yes. A place of anger? Certainly. A place of rejection? Yeah. But a place of love we need to do a better job showing the love of God. So here, the Word of God is calling us to love in that way. We haven't seen God, but as we love one another, we are demonstrating God. And look at the last part of that 12th verse. God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. If you want to have an ever-deepening relationship or fellowship, I should say, with God, then you will choose to love. And listen, sometimes it's tough to choose to love. About the time I think I've got this whole love thing figured out, God puts someone in my path that's hard for me to love. And... It's frustrating, and it shows the work that needs to take place in my life of yielding to God and seeing God transform that part of my life. But this is what God calls us to. God wants us to be people who have that deepening love for those around us. God wants us to deepen that fellowship with Him. And I am convinced as I deepen my fellowship with God, I will deepen my ability to love. If you have a person who is unloving and unkind to the people around them, they may be able to spout a million verses, but they don't have a depth of fellowship with God. The believers that I know who have that depth of fellowship, have a sweet, kind, gracious, loving spirit. Because the love of God flows through them into the hearts and the lives of other people. Look at the last statement, and with this we'll close. God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now, in reading this, please don't think in any way that God's love is in any way imperfect. When the Scripture talks about God's love being perfected in us, you know what it's talking about? It reaching 
its fullness in our lives. It's not about God's love somehow being diminished. It's talking about our experience of God's love in our lives, and it's brought to its fullest measure. It is all that it should be in our lives as we grow in loving one another. So I am convinced that unless I know what it is to love my fellow believers, I can in no way really grasp what it is to be loved by God. And it's almost like it plays off of one another. As I grow in my love for other believers, I grow in my understanding of God's love. But then as I grow in my understanding of God's love, I grow in my understanding of loving one another. And this is what John is calling us to in this passage, what the Holy Spirit led him to write that we should love in this way. I ask you this morning, do you love as God loves? Do you seek to be that representation of the love of God in your home, in your workplace, in your church? This is what God has called you and me to. And it's repeated throughout the New Testament, but certainly the Gospel of John calls us to it in a unique way. Beloved, let's love one another because love is from God. God is love. He loved us enough to send His Son into this world to die on the cross for our sins. The ultimate example of love is sacrificial and reaches out to people right where they are. Let's love like God loves. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this text. We thank You for the call that it is to us all. God, may we love one another just as You have loved us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.